Matthew chapter 13. It says, And the same day went Jesus out of the house, and he sat by the seaside. The same day, chapter 12. Religious leaders telling him he's casting out demons by Beelzebub. He's arguing with them, calling them a brood of vipers. Uh, then he talks about this generation, an evil and adulterous generation. And as he's teaching, someone comes in the house, says, your mom, your family's outside. And of course, he says, who is my mother, my brothers and sisters? But those who hear the will of God and do it. And then he goes out of, away from the house, you know, just wherever all of that pressure was. You just, you know, the religious leaders, who I believe he loved, but they were chewing on him. And they were, it says they were already taking time together, trying to figure out how they could kill him. So the hostility is incredible. His family doesn't understand him. And, you know, I think what a relief to go out and sit by the seaside. This is a lake, by the way, but to go out and sit by the seaside, by the Sea of Galilee, and, uh, and to just sit there. How wonderful. Wouldn't it have been nice if you knew where he's going to be that day and just go sit alone with him? Uh, well, you can do that this evening. He went and he sat by the seaside. Now he's Capernaum area, northern end of Kinneroth, the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful there. There's a big sloping hill that comes down. Uh, it's an ancient city, Safed, that's on the hill there. It's green, it's beautiful, sitting there looking at the sea. Tiberias would be about seven miles to your right. You could see it. And uh, he's sitting there, you know, the creator in his creation. And I just think about his heart, because it says at this time, it says, then great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that his response, he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So the crowds, again, he must have been nice there to be quiet. Now here come the crowds. But this is why he's come into the world. And, and the, the crowds are so thick, they're pressing on him. He gets Peter, one of the guys, to get the boat and probably goes out however many feet. And he sits there. And he begins to teach them, and they're all standing. That was, the, that was the habit of the day. The teacher sat, and the congregation stood. Spurgeon says when he comments on this verse, he said, he said if this was still our arrangement, there'd be a little less sleeping in the congregation. <laughs> so Jesus sits down. They're all thronged. They're pushing up. They're sitting there. It's funny, you know, because I, I hear people... As I go through this and you read and you dig, and they always say, well, the natural acoustics there are amazing. You know, you could sit there and they just trap the sound. They could all see him. This is God talking. He doesn't need natural acoustics. He made natural acoustics. He spoke natural acoustics into existence with a voice that he was using to teach there. So you don't need natural acoustics, you know. It's funny when you when you read about... You know, Spurgeon, you know, preaching to 30,000 people without a microphone. You know, he went to this huge arena indoor where he was going to speak and he wanted to hear what the sound was like. So he, he walked up on the stage 
And he said, just to hear what it sounded like, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You know, he kind of said it, you know, loudly, wanted to hear the sound. And there was a janitor on the third floor cleaning, fell on his knees and got saved when Spurgeon said it. Uh, You know, Whitfield, at the end of his life, preaching here in the United States, he would preach to 60,000 people without a microphone. When he's preaching here in the States, a few days before he died, the crowds were so huge. And he started to speak. Couldn't really hear him. He, he said, please, would you just wait until I receive some divine assistance? Pray with me. And he bowed his head and he stood there. I don't know how long I prayed. And then he started to speak again and everybody could hear him. So uh, this must have been beautiful. Jesus sitting in the boat. No need of natural acoustics. He's speaking in every heart, every ear, every open person that wanted to hear with this prophet, this man from Nazareth, the carpenter's son, this man of God was saying, could hear. Just imagine. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, behold, you need to think about this, behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, it's literally the sower went forth to sow. You guys familiar with the parable of the sower? Okay. And Mark in his gospel says, He said unto them, Know ye not this parable? Then how shall you know all parables? The sower soweth the word of God. Luke in his gospel says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So it's clear that's that's what the deal is here. But he's going to tell them about the word of God in parables. Look, look, you know, sometimes people come to me and say, wow, it's just the word of God is so plain. You think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus talked to them about sheep and about fields and about sowing. And, you know, because parables, parabolo, para means to come alongside the paracletus, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside, para alongside. Balo is to cast. So whether he's casting natural pictures alongside of biblical truth or he's casting biblical truth alongside of natural images that they're used to, that's the idea of a parable. You have a truth and you're putting something alongside of it. And it does two things. It doesn't hide the truth. It all depends on the heart. He's going to talk about that. To those who want to know and have ears to hear, it becomes clearer. To those who don't want to know and they're critical, it doesn't make any sense. So it both conceals and reveals. If he just wanted to conceal, he could have just not said anything. He could have sat in the boat and stared at them. But he's speaking because it is to come to the hearts of people there and to us this evening. And he begins to speak to them in parables because he had argued with the religious leaders. He had, he had been through all of that. They're planning to kill him. He wants to still speak to hearts. So he says, Let me, I'm going to put it out this way. Those who want to hear, it's going to be perfectly clear. Those who don't, it'll be hidden from them. They won't understand. So he begins to speak them in parables he begins this way, Behold, the sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell 
by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. So even the chief sower, when he sows, some of the seed falls by uh, the wayside. Look, this this parable, uh, important in my life, 1979, I'm sitting in Mike McIntosh's church, and he's teaching the parable of the sower. And, and Kathy and I had bumbled around to a bunch of smaller churches. She had gotten saved at Calvary. But then, and you know, the, the smaller churches, illegal, legalistic, and you get a lot of this. Yeah, we're, we're small, but we're pure, you know, kind of, a, kind of a thing. And I'm sitting there because I had been years earlier, three or four years earlier, in San Diego. And now they had moved to the North Park Theater. And there's seven, eight hundred people. Kids, young people, were all sitting in there together. And Mike's teaching the parable of the sower. And it just came alive. I began to weep. It just came to life. And I understood it was my calling. I understood what the Lord wanted me to do. It was in the parable of the sower. I just understood the seed. It just, the light went on. Everything to do with all of the other methods, everything else people do, everything, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with smoke machines or, you know, lasers or the show or, it's, it's the word. It's the seed itself that produces. And, uh, and I just knew the Lord wanted me to sow his word. Interesting, of course, Mike McIntosh, the first time he come back here, uh, I had shared that story with him, and he said, yeah, Joe was sitting in my church, and the Lord told him to go so, so he became a tailor when he moved back to Philadelphia. <laughs> the sower went forth to sow, and as he sows his seed, some of it fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. No, no, they know this well, because... There were pathways through the fields. It was agricultural society. And people didn't just walk on other people's crops. They walked on the fields. And that was where the, the dirt was packed down. It was hard. And this is going to be a picture of hard hearts as we go into this, where the seed goes on, but it doesn't go down. And it was typical. You know, and interesting for, for those of us in ministry or we're sharing Christ with friends or relatives or, you know, even here, Jesus, the chief sower, some of what he scatters falls on the pathway, on the hard ground. And it says, immediately the birds, the fowls of the air came, they devoured it. Some fell upon stony places where there had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness. It was no depth of earth, so it was shallow, warm, fast, all over Israel, when you go there, there are places like that. There are places where there's, where there's rock with, with kind of pockets of dirt in it, stuff growing out of it. And then there's parts of fields where there's bedrock right under, you know, this far under the soil. So because it's warm from the sun, they, it springs up, but there's no depth. So then they wither, you know, they're, they're unlike the, the wheat in the middle of the field where it's better. So this is a picture now of a shallow heart. Some fell on stony places uh, where they had not much fruit, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. 
Then it says, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up. That's what thorns do. And they choked them, the seed. This is a crowded heart. And the picture is so interesting. You know, they say in every, it takes 60 pounds of seed. I thought it was the trumpet. It takes, it takes 60 pounds of seed to sow in this day by hand, to sow an acre of ground. 60 pounds of seed. But in that acre of ground, there's 3,000 pounds of weed seeds. You, you go and you look, you can look that up, don't believe me. You know, however much seed it takes a day with a tractor and so forth to sow seed, there's a ton and a half of wheat seeds in every acre. It's not fair. I wish I had to sow weeds and I had a ton and a half of tomato seeds in my, in my acre. You know, because we got a garden in this year and, and you know, you, you, you turn over the ground, you do everything you're supposed to do, you plant your tomatoes, your peppers, your cucumbers, because we were locked in by COVID and we were bored. You know, I became a farmer. And I uh, hadn't done that for a long time. And, you know, where do these weeds come from? I thought we got everything cleaned out. And then you're in there fighting with the weeds, you know. <laughs> and you're kind of, you know, kind of inspired early. But by the time you, you know, you get into September, you're like, eh, we'll buy, the, buy our tomatoes in the store. The heck with them, you know. <laughs> but, but they come. This is, this is the, the native that's antagonistic to the foreign. This is what's in the natural heart that is not receptive to that which is not natural, the Word of God. And he's going to develop that picture as we move on and we look at this. He says, but other seed fell, thank goodness, on good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. The good seed always prevails because it's the word of God. You know, the, the, what a miraculous thing he's talking about here. You know, you go to the book of Genesis and you're God's making trees. They produce some plants, making seed after their kind. They say if you would take one kernel of corn, one kernel, single kernel, plant it. You get one stalk, you get five or six ears of corn. You take those, and the next year you plant maybe it's a couple hundred kernels. And then you harvest them when they come, dry them. The, th the third year you're planting thousands and thousands of kernels. They say if you did that in six years, you could cover the entire surface of the earth. That's the potential in seed. You know, they find, uh, when we were in Israel a couple years ago, they found in some of the pots at Qumran, some of the, we dug, they found um, date pits. Of course, they were dry, they're 2,000 years old. And they got some of them to germinate. And those dates are producing um, vitamins, uh, certain nutrients that we don't even have in our food 
today. They're, they're producing certain amino acids that are like super healthy. So now they're starting the plant fields of those. You know, they find wheat in the pyramids in Egypt. 4,000 years old. And it's like a piece of glass. It's like a rock. You could hit it with a hammer. It would shatter like glass. But if you take that and you push it in the dirt, you put a little bit of water on it, somehow the DNA, the software, is still there in that dried out, shriveled up hardware. And the software starts to bring everything to life. It knows which way is down for the root, which way is up towards the light. And it germinates, thousands of years old. It'll germinate, and it comes to life. And there's something about the DNA and the seed. Well, it's the same thing with the Word of God. The seed has within itself the capacity to germinate in a human heart and produce things that nobody else can produce. You know, so, so many times Bible college and all, you know, they want to teach you this is the way you enunciate. And if you do that, you know, you get the point across, and if you emphasize, you know, just and you, you know, you get seed sowing certificates for your wall in your office, and you throw the, sow the seed this way, and sow the seed that way, and sow the seed this way, you know, and it's like it doesn't matter how you do that. The the miracles in the seed, the miracles in the seed, the life is in the seed. It's in the Word of God itself. It lives and abides forever. It says we're born again by that incorruptible seed, not corrupt, by the word of God. It gives life, just like these seeds would spring forth to life. It doesn't return void. It accomplishes. We hear all of these things. People don't understand. People don't understand. You know, I remember one of the times teaching the parable of the sower, and there were about 500 people coming to church, adults and children. Twelve years later, when I came back to that parable, there were 5,000 people. Twelve years, one journey through the Bible, and the fruit that it produces, and the lives that it touches. You get a wonderful letter today from a, from a Catholic study group, a women's study in a Catholic church, and... Uh, they're getting ready to go in the book of Revelation. And the nun told them, you need to get, listen to the studies from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Listen to Pastor Joe. And hopefully by the time we're done Revelation, you'll have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you'll know who your Lord and Savior is. And she said, now don't bristle up. He's going to say some things doctrinally. You know, I thought I was pretty nice to them, really, as I go through. You know, Thyatora, Tyra, and Pergamos both have people there the Lord speaks to, you know, so uh, you, you don't know where it goes. It just goes. We Again, we had this uh, this Carmelite nun in Israel used to write to me, send me Christmas cards to my pastor, you know, yeah, Easter cards to my pastor. I never met her. She was over there in Mount Carmel in, uh, in Israel. I'm sure she's gone. She passed on. We had a nun that came here once. We had priests that come too, but I, I like the nun stories. Uh, <laughs> She was in her habit, not her normal habit, but here at church. And uh, 
Some people got saved that morning, and she came up afterwards. She said, I know we believe in the same Jesus. I know we believe in the same Jesus. She said, they never taught us the Old Testament. I don't know anything about the Old Testament. So I said, well, look, if I give you, I'll give you the book of Genesis. If I do that, will you listen to it? She said, yeah. And then it was about 50 cassettes, you know. And here I come out, I I find out she's the... She's the the mother, the main nun for the Sisters of the Sacred Hearts. I I gave her Genesis. I said, now, when you're done listening to that, if you want Exodus, you let me know. I'll send you Exodus. Then I sent her Leviticus. Uh, She wrote this note to me and said, I'm at this nun's conference. It's so boring. I can't wait to get back to my room and listen to my Leviticus tapes. (laughs) So the word of God is not bound, Paul says. It's not bound. It's, you know, there's only one sower that matters. That's the sower here, Jesus, the sower, the sower, the sower. But how wonderful for any of us to know, look, what we have to share with people and what we have to give to them is not dependent on us. It's eternal. It's alive. It's powerful. And it's the word of God. And it doesn't need any, don't need any help. You know, I I look at young pastors all over the country trying to help the word of God. It's because they don't understand inerrancy. They don't understand, you know, infallibility. They don't understand this is something from another world. And if we love it, if we love it, and if it feeds us, and if it causes us to grow, it's contagious. It's contagious. So some of it, he says here, in the last picture, it bears fruit. It falls on good ground. And then in verse 9, he says, Who have ears to hear, let him hear. Check real fast. If that's what your ears are for, he says, let him hear. And it says this in Psalm 94. Uh, it says, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? It says this, of course, in Proverbs chapter 20, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. So here he says, if you have ears to hear, that's what I made them for. That's what I stuck them on your head for. You know, and, and in the Bible, hearing is never just with the physical ear. It's with the heart as well. You know, if you study the ear or the eye, you should want to see and listen. Just it would it, it'll astound you. You know, you sit here in the room. They don't know all of the pressures on the drum, all of those things that are involved. But you have a library in your brain of sounds. So you're sitting here and, uh, you know, a car wheels out going by. You hear that. A siren goes by in the distance. You hear that. Somebody coughs over there. You hear that. You hear all these other things where we're listening to the word. We're talking. You know, somebody laughs over here. All of those things come in and they land in the same place and they get divided and they get filed. And you already have a file in your brain that says laughter. Siren, you know, you have all of all of these, the, and the eye is way more complicated. The eye is just, and he says here, if you have ears to hear, this is the word of God. 
I know all of those faculties are clogged with social media, with entertainment, with everything the world has surrounded you with. We're inundated. But he says, look, but if you have ears to hear, I have something I want to say to you. I have something I want to say. Let him who has ears to hear. You know, when the rapture happens, we're going to say, I oh, am, yeah, man, what was I doing listening to down there? You know, and this, this was on the horizon the whole time. He says, he, he that had ears to hear, let him hear. He's going to say that in the book of Revelation. He's going to say it in a bunch of different places. And the disciples then came and said unto him, uh, why are you speaking unto them in parables? And he looks at the guys and he says, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. Now, that's very interesting. It is given. You can stay there for the rest of your life. It is given. We're his elect for some reason. The light has gone on. Nobody was home before, but the lights are on and somebody's home now. It is given to you. Never take that for granted. You know, we have ears to hear, not just all the sounds and all the news and everything going on. We have ears to hear the truth about the kingdom. We have ears to hear the truth about Christ's love. It's in our heart, those ears. We have ears to hear about the blessed hope. We have ears to hear about how we should treat our spouses. We have ears to hear about how we should raise our children. We have ears to hear about what we should do with gossip, and that's all social media sometimes, electronic gossip. You know, we have ears to hear, you know, how we should love one another sacrificially. We have ears to hear the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the written word of God as he speaks to us. Never take that for granted. Never take it for granted. Because a lot of people are clogged up with a lot of other stuff. He says, to you it is given, you know, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To them it is not. For whosoever, here's his reason, whosoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more in abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Now he's explaining why he's teaching in parables. He began that by saying, if you have ears to hear, which speaks of the condition of the heart. All right, look, you know, we're studying the Bibles. You know, Sunday, Wednesday, Monday night, Tuesday morning, you know, all the week, the home fellowships. In all of that, do you, is, is the attitude of your heart, are you hearing so you can say, Jesus, give me that. What do you want? Tell me, lead me, shepherd me, change my life. Let me walk in the power of your spirit and the truth of your word. If we have ears to hear, if that heart attitude is like that, he says, look, he says, understand, he who hath ears to hear, to him shall more be given. He who hath not, then even what he has is going to be taken away. It withers. We hear that in the parables here. It's gone. So what a blessed thing that we have this capacity to hear. We should never take that 
for granted. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And then in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and not perceive, for this people's heart is waxed gross. Now, by that's the great chapter in Isaiah, chapter 6. Remember, in the year the king Uzziah died, I lifted up my eyes, I saw the Lord high, lifted up his train, filled the temple, the smoke, the whole scene that takes place there. Isaiah is down, you know, and, uh, and the, this angel comes and takes a one of the seraphim, which means burning one, they uses a set of tongs to take a coal from the altar. So that coal must have been really hot if a burning one had to use tongs to pick it up. And then he puts it on Isaiah's tongue, like to purify. And then the Lord says, you know, well, this is what we need. Who will go for us? Who shall we send? And Isaiah says, by the way, this is on General Flynn's letterhead. Here am I, send me, he says. And the Lord says, I'm all right, Isaiah, you can go. But understand what you're walking into. Because they have ears. But they won't hear. It has nothing to do with how valid your message is. They have eyes. But they won't see. A lot of your seed is going to fall in the hard places. It's going to fall in the shallowness of this world. It's going to be choked. Are you willing if it's my direction, to fight a losing battle for the rest of your life. The war is won. There's no question about that. We know who wins. But what if he wants us to share in a world that is cooling and stepping away from the things that are precious to us that we know? Jesus said, look, I'm speaking in parables. This is what I'm doing. If somebody has an attitude of heart that they want, they're going to hear it. They're going to grow. If somebody's attitude ain't there. Even what they have is going to be taken away. He said, you shouldn't take for granted what's been given to you. You see it. You hear it. He said, but all this has happened to fulfill, which was spoken by Isaiah, which saith, hearing they shall, you shall hear and shall not understand, seeing you shall see, you won't perceive. Reason for this people's heart heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. This people's heart is waxed, gross. That doesn't mean ugly like it does today. You know, gross means thick. It means insensitive. Waxed doesn't mean it's shiny. It means it's grown dull. It's grown thick. It's grown insensitive. This people's heart is waxed, gross, and their ears are dull of hearing their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand their spiritual faculties coming alive with their heart, not understand with their brain, understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. By the way, if you're still you alone with them tonight, you can hear him say that to you. You can hear him say it to you. He says it to me. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, 
Blessed are your ears, for they hear, for verily, he puts a verily, his own, you know, blessing on this. For verily, I say unto you, you and I, the blessed ones, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them. And to hear the things that you hear and have not heard them. Isn't that interesting to think? Isaiah, Jeremiah, we know John the Baptist, the prophets, how many holy men prophets longed to see what you're seeing. Not just with your physical eye and your heart. They longed to hear what you're hearing. Remember even John the Baptist sent his servants to Jesus say, look, are you the one that's supposed to come or should we be looking for somebody else? You're never going to do that. Because he had unrealized expectations. And it was eating him alive. And he thought, well, I, I know these verses, but, you know, aren't you going to overturn Rome? Aren't you going to set the people of Israel free? He, you know, he had the two pictures of the Messiah, but he had them all glumped together. And Jesus said, but listen, when he talked to him, he said, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Because you see what holy men of old and John the Baptist long to see, and you hear what they long to hear. And your message is clearer than theirs, and Satan trembles at us bumbling around here, scratching our heads, being contagious with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He goes on now to say in verse 18, Hear ye therefore, now he's speaking to us because he says that 19 times, I think, in this chapter. Hear ye therefore this parable of the sower. When anyone, so he includes, that's, that's inclusive. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, now he tells us that's the seed, that's what's being sown, the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and he catcheth away that which is sown, notice this, here's the field, in the heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. This is the hardened heart. When the word of God comes to the hardened heart, and it's hardened by its, where, where the world traverses, makes its pathway, you know, and the heart is consumed with those things, and this is what's going on, and this is where my friends are, and this is what's cool, and this is where I get satisfied. Just, just the paths of this world. He says, but the, the, the Satan is not indifferent to that seed that fell there. The enemy knows the power of it, and he's not indifferent in regards to that seed that fell on the ground, but didn't go in. And it says immediately the wicked one, the fowls of the air, the wicked one comes and steals it away. He said, these are those which received, notice that, they received it by the wayside. Now, he that received the seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, notice he hears it, and anon, with joy, he receives it. Twice it says there he received it. Now he receives it with joy. This is not somebody who's opposed 
to the word. This is somebody you think is an antagonist. And maybe somebody comes sit with you at church. Somebody may sit here and worship and say, oh, that was really cool. Somebody goes to a men's retreat or women's retreat. and They're all on fire afterwards. They're all stirred up. It, it, says, it says here, they receive it with joy. And yet, yet hath he not root in himself. This is interesting. He endureth for a while. Is that a long while or a short while? Depends on the endurer. You know, sometimes we know friends, we think, wow, you know, they, they're carrying a Bible now. They're singing the songs with it. You know, this is real. And you watch them. And then as time goes on, all of a sudden you hear they're smoking dope again or sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend again. They're out in the world again. And you think, what happened? What happened to them? Well, they endured for a while. Some of them longer whiles than other, which makes it more difficult. They endured for a while. And the word really never got into their heart, got into their brain. They were emotional. They enjoyed what they encountered. Great study, great worship, you know. But because there's no root in himself, he has no root, he endures for a while. Here's Here's the changes everything. But when tribulation, notice it's not if, but when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word. Well, yeah, I do believe we shouldn't sleep, be sleeping together. Oh, yeah, I do believe we, we can't be smoking that stuff. Oh, yeah, I do believe we shouldn't be, you know, gambling money away. We should we give it to missionaries. Oh, yeah, I do believe, you know. But when, and then you take all this heat from people. You try to take a stand for the word. And it says here... When, he, when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, that's what separates you from every opinion in this world, by and by he is offended. Interesting word, offended, scandalon. It's, it's the part of the trap that the bait is attached to, trapping animals. And he, he, he says this is what sets off the trap. You know, they're excited. They think everything's going to be cool. Oh, this is Christianity. You know, worship. I love singing the songs. All that. But soon as pressure comes, you know, you don't you don't find out what kind of tea you have till you put it in hot water. Uh, last week Spurgeon said, uh, you don't know what's in the what what he said what's in the well the bucket brings up. You know, so it says it becomes manifest. Well, as soon as pressure comes, as soon as they're getting hassled, then it's you know. And the interesting thing here is, look. Uh, we have Satan stealing the seed. We have the person who just doesn't care. And then we have the cares and riches of this life. So you have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And this is through the scripture. This is where warfare takes place. The, the flesh, you know, the, the devil comes and steals away the seed. The middle one, the, the flesh here, this person, you know, really no depth in themselves. They take a little bit of uh, Christianity in, but then when there's pressure, they want anything to do with it. And then the world. He that received seed among thorns is he that heareth the word, notice that, he hears it, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and notice, and he becometh unfruitful. What exactly does that mean? You know, look, I think 
by and large, most scholars, sages through the centuries have interpreted this as what unbelievers do with the word as it comes their way. But here's the truth for you and I. I think at different seasons in our life, every one of us can experience hardness or shallowness or worldliness, you know. And the wonderful thing is we can hear the word of God. We know our Savior. We can go. We confess our sins, faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This last picture is probably the one that sinks its claws into most Christians, the pressures of this world that we're living in. And look, I mean, my brain is fried with everything going on around me. It's, it's, it's making me crazy. If I do something crazy, it's not my fault. But, you know, it's making me crazy. Just And I have to, I always have to take a step back. I'm thankful in the morning, my devotions, when I get time in the Word to say, Lord, this is about your kingdom. You know, the, the people in church, Lord, how, would you keep us all on track? Would you, whatever's going on, and there's things that are wrong. We need to be good citizens. I think we should vote, all of that stuff. We should pray for people that are broken. We should pray for people that are angry. We should, you know, pray for revival in our nation. But, but Lord, keep us in a place where, where your kingdom weighs more than all of that. Your coming is precious to us. And it outweighs all of that. Amen? We need that as we watch what's going on around us in the world today. Because he said, he said this person now is one who receives seed, but it's among thorns. So here's the deal. That heart is preoccupied. There's already thorns. It's preoccupied. And the, and the problem with you and I is, you know, obviously what separates us, one of the things separates from the Lord is our heart is not infinite. You know, it says that we should, you know, cleanse our hearts. We should guard our hearts with all diligence. You know, the human heart doesn't have the capacity to take hold of everything that's around it. God's heart is infinite. That's why God can know every man, woman, and child on this planet. That's why God can know every man, woman, and child that's part of his bride in the church. That's why God, whoever liveth and maketh intercession for the saints, you know, he's there and he knows every one of us, our our sorrows, our joys. It says he keeps our tears in the bottle. His heart is infinite. There's no end to his ability to, to focus his affections on every single one of us. But a human being doesn't have that capacity. And we can't have a, a preoccupied heart, a crowded heart. If we do, we need to take inventory. What you spend most of your time with or most of your energy with or most of your money on is your, is your God. Is your God. What absorbs your life? So you say, oh, I can't go to church. I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, you, you know, Martha has invaded your heart some reason, you know. Now, you, know you, you look at all that. You think, all right, Lord, don't let me have this crowded heart. Don't let the word be choked out in my life. Let it be alive. Let it be wonderful. Let it be exciting, Lord, because my heart can only take hold of a number of things, there's already thorns there. It's already preoccupied naturally with things of the world that are around me. And he says, that crowded heart, those thorns, it says, 
they choke the word, they receive the seed among thorns. That's he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The cares of this world, uh, merimna, the cares of this world. It means to be pulled in many directions, the idea of merimna. People say that, I feel like I'm being pulled in a thousand directions. Yeah, you're biblical. You got merimna, you got a bad virus there. It's worse than COVID, it affects your heart. You're being pulled in a thousand different directions. This was says the cares of this world. And by the way, the world there is Ionos, the cares of this age. The cares of this age. That that can eat us up more than the cares of the next age. You know, as Christians, we have the blessed hope. It tells us in Hebrews, our hope is the anchor for our soul. And as everything's falling around, uh, you know, apart around us, we, it shouldn't affect our hope. Jesus is coming. He loves us. He paid the ultimate price for us. We're his prize. We're his bride. He's going to come and get us and carry us across the threshold. But it says, but we have to look out that the cares of this age are not pulling us in a thousand different directions because that chokes the word. He says the cares of this world. And then he says the deceitfulness of riches. That means to deceive. Uh, it has the idea of fooling to be, you know, to be deceitful. It doesn't say riches, and there's nothing wrong with riches. Abraham was wealthy, you know, Joseph was wealthy, Moses was wealthy, and, uh, you know, David certainly was wealthy, Solomon was wealthy. It doesn't say there's anything wrong with working hard and succeeding. There are millionaires who love Jesus. And constantly look for missionaries to support. They understand it's a gift from God, what they do with it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's only when those riches take precedent over the word of God, the living word and the written word in your life, then they're choking something they have no right to choke. There's anything wrong with prospering, working hard. I think it's a good testimony. But that's not our ultimate goal. And, and if we do, then how do we respond to that? Does Jesus speak to our heart? So this is a person who receives the word, the seed among thorns, and he hears the word. But the cares, the marimna, the things of this life, of this world, this age, and the deceitfulness of riches. There's, you need great wisdom if God blesses you that way, you know. Uh, it's harder to carry a full cup than one that's half full. It takes more wisdom, more skill. And uh, the deceitfulness of riches. Nothing wrong with riches themselves, but the deceitfulness of those riches, it says then they choke the word. Uh, uh, the, the word choke there means to crowd. Jesus, it speaks about the throng that's around them. The idea is the deceitfulness of riches can throng or crowd or suffocate the word in your life. Because they're promising they can answer your problems. They can give you security. And then how often do we see someone with everything and you realize when you find out about them what's going on in their life, their home, their marriage, their health, they got everything and they got nothing. And you feel bad for them. You pray for them. You know, here I am, just a simple bumblehead, and I'm happy. You got everything and you got nothing. Lord, bless them, Lord. Strengthen them. 
And in all of that, it says they become the process of becoming unfruitful. Is that insinuating that they had been fruitful and they're in the process of becoming unfruitful? I'm not going to say because I don't know. But he that receiveth seed into good ground, and by the way, that word good is sometimes translated beautiful. And this is Jesus talking about your hearts. He said, when I see good ground, it's a beautiful thing. When I see somewhere where I know my word is going to plant and bring forth, that's a beautiful thing to behold. He that receiveth seed into good ground is he, number one, that heareth, present tense, that is hearing. The idea is constantly the word. It's it's the habit of our life to be hearing the word um, and understandeth it. And we're understanding and certainly growing in our understanding is process which also beareth, that person is bearing, it's not once, constantly bearing fruit and constantly bringing forth, and some of them a hundredfold, you know, some of them sixtyfold, some of them thirtyfold, and the Lord is, calls all of that good ground. You know, these are people that are hearing and they're, they're bearing, some to one degree or another, but that process is beautiful to me. This is the thing that I look for. This is my words being effective. You know, that's the condition. That condition of a heart is good, beautiful soil, he says. The Word of God. Look, the power that it has, the privilege we have to gather and study. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. All right, we'll get we'll start one more here. It says, another parable put he forth unto them. Another is allos, another of the same kind. There's going to be about the field again and so forth. He said, the kingdom of heaven, it's likened unto a man that sowed good seed, notice this, in his field. So some of it's changing a bit. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and he went his way. So something happens here that's unnoticed. Uh, You know, it says when the bridegroom comes, even those with oil in their lamps are sleeping and he has to awaken them. So he says things are going on here unnoticed because it says they were sleeping and someone came and sowed tares among the wheat. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then in that process appeared the tares also, now this is the darnel grass in Israel and that parts of the world they call different names, but it grows up and attaches itself to the actually the stalk of the wheat. It grows with the wheat, and it grows a shock of grain. It looks like the wheat. It's a little more withered, it's a little smaller, but it grows along with the wheat. And it says they realize when it sprung when it sprung up and started to bear fruit that some of it was not as healthy and as thick as the wheat. And they're realizing this is the darnel grass. It's sown among the wheat. It looks like the wheat, but it differs. And this is some, what are tares? Look at the world we're in. There's tares sown among the wheat. That's a parable, so you can't build doctrine on parables, but it is supposed to be communicating a measure of truth to us 
What are the tares? Sometimes I look at the world and think, what is the wicked one sown you know, among us in the world or in places in the church? Uh, you know, Paul said that the, he ceased not in Acts chapter 20 to warn the Ephesians day and night for a couple of years. He said, weeping. He said, because I know that after my departure, grievous wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock, and men are going to rise out of your own midst, leading disciples after themselves instead of after the Lord Jesus. What are tares? You know, it's an interesting picture here, interesting question. He says, when the blade sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Now, one of the ways you can tell the difference between the tare and the wheat is this. When the wheat becomes firm and ripe on the staff, the wheat bows. The weight of it, it bows. The tares stand straight. They never bow. And if you looked out on the field and you saw, you know, 60, 70% of what you had bowed, you know, the wheat, and you see these other skinny, weird-looking, you know, things that look like wheat standing up straight, you know, that's the darnel grass. That's the imposter sown among the wheat. So it became noticeable, it says, when it began to bear fruit, recognizable. So the servants of the householder came and they said to him, Sir, uh, didn't you sow good seed in your field? From whence cometh these tares? How did this happen? And he said to them, An enemy hath done this. He knows. He knows. Look, we come to this one. There's two sowers. There's two seeds in the world. The Lord and the enemy, the wheat and the tares. It says, He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servants said to him, This is interesting, Wilt thou that we should go and gather them up? But he said unto them, No. Lest while you're gathering up the tares, you root up also the wheat. Because they, they look together and they're grown so close together. You know, we've, we've been weeding the spring. And so my wife, we have some wildflowers and it drives her crazy because sometimes when you pull out the crabgrass or you pull out some of the weeds, it pulls out the root of the flowers too. And then you got to quick stick them back in the ground and try to water them, keep them, keep them rolling along. But he says, I don't want you to do this because in rooting up the tares, you might root up the wheat also. Charles Spurgeon says that we should not be quick to judge one another. We shouldn't be quick. We can't be hasty in judgment. We don't want to root up the wheat too. And sometimes somebody, you know, they're growing, they're slow, they're not maturing quickly, but they they actually are wheat. They're not tares. And sometimes, you know, we get we first get saved. We come to church. We have love. Our minds are blown. Somehow when we mature, our love matures into discernment. Then we think we're the tear inspectors, you know, and we're here to find everybody that uh, needs a lecture. Uh, it, it says, don't be hasty judges. No, don't do that. You know, while you're gathering the tares, you may also pull up the wheat. Let both grow together until the harvest. The wheat will bow. And I will say to the reapers which we know are angels. We're going to hear that. Gather ye together the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them. He's going to do much better than we would have done. 
and burn them and gather the wheat into my barn. Of course, what they would do is they would they would get their sickles, they would harvest the field, and then the women and the children, as, as the shocks of grain were laid down, would see the darnel grass, and they would pull those out and separate them from the wheat. They didn't do it while it was in the ground. They would do it when it was laying out on the, where, where they would uh, separate it and then uh, grind it. But uh, then they would tie those into bundles and burn them. So picture what's coming. You know, I remember years ago, Larry King Live, and it will always be seared in my memory, he had Billy Graham on. And I loved to watch Larry King when he had Billy Graham on. Because I know he had respect for Billy Graham, but Billy Graham would always freak him out before the show was over, you know. And uh, in the interview, he said, Billy, you know, he said, uh, you think things are worse than they've ever been? He said, oh, yeah, Larry. He said, things are uh, worse than they've ever been. But things are better than they've ever been, too. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the Lord is allowing the wheat and the tares to grow. And the wheat is more ripe than it's ever been. And the tares, Larry, they're more ripe than they've ever been. And soon the Lord's going to send in his angels to gather the tares into bundles and to burn them with eternal fire. Larry said, oh, what do you think about this? He tried to change the subject, you know. But it was, you know, he, but he just said it with such authority and such simplicity. You, see, you know, I hope Larry King, you know, he's like Nero. I mean, he sat there with Paul so many times with Billy Graham and heard the truth pray that uh, somehow that gets to him before, you know, before the lights go out. So uh, these parables, these pictures, next week we'll pick up. He tells two other quick parables. Then he gets alone with his disciples, and then they ask him about the tares and the wheat, and he goes into the explanation and finishes up with some other parables. So uh, read ahead. If the Lord tarries, we'll finish chapter 13 next week important thing, the Word of God in our lives. What do we do with it? Do we let it ha have its way? You know, uh, uh, do we find out in our heart there are places that are still hard? We need to take them to Him. He'll plow them up. He specializes. Are there still places in our life that are so shallow that He makes us sick? Take those to Him. He can give us depth. He's willing to do that. Are there places in our lives, and I know there are, because there are places in mine where we're letting the world weigh more than it should. I don't want the world to choke the word of God in my life. I've got enough headaches and enough warfare and enough going on. I need the word always be alive in my life, my hope, my joy, and not to have, you know, the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and the things that surround us choking that in my life so that it would ever become unfruitful. Lord, let me be a, a 30, 60, or 100-fold. Let my heart be beautiful before you as you say your word. Next week we'll finish with the tears. Put that all together. You guys are good? Go home and read this. This right here. You don't need to be entertained. Uh, you don't need a big entertainment center on the wall here. You don't need smoke machines and lasers. You don't all that kind of went with COVID anyway. Uh, you don't need preachers with sneakers. I'm not going to be up here with uh, $5,000 shoes on or, uh, you know. What you need is the Bible, the Word of God. And we have it. We have the freedom, you know, never take it for granted, week in and week out, to gather and study God's Word. Let's do that together. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for these things as we look at them. And it just, it's a reminder to us, Lord, as we sit individually as your sons and daughters and we look at these things, your Holy Spirit speaks to us, Lord. It becomes, it, it rises off the page and becomes alive. Lord, as we have the wonderful opportunity to gather and sing your praises, Lord, and look at these things corporately, Lord, together, Lord, we all acknowledge, Lord, we all corporately, Lord, resonate with one another, the truth of these things and the effect they they should have on our lives and how you long, Jesus, to see these things working in our hearts. As any of us as parents, we want to see our children grow in stature and in favor with God and man. And Lord, how you want your children to grow. Let us feed regularly, Lord, not on junk food, Lord, but on your word. Jesus, please let it rise off the page and speak to us in whatever season we might be in, Lord. And we believe we're we're asking according to your will. Lord Jesus, we do pray these things in your name, Lord, and in this crazy world, Lord, for your glory. And uh, Lord, your name we pray. Amen.